Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Warmington across to Stutzla, bust again. Tim Stutzla scores! What a goal by Tim Stutzla! A burst to give Ottawa the 2-1 lead. Oh, what a goal by Tim Stutzla. Probably a top five on the season for the Sens as the Sens beat Columbus. They get a point in Washington, and then they win in Columbus. And Jacob Bernard-Docker has been on and off the taxi squad 73 times since we last were with you. Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. Our website is sensnationhockey.com. Starting to look really, really good, by the way, that site. Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are you, Greg? I'm doing well. Doing well, Steve. That's uh, three out of four points. That's not bad at all. These last two games, they're, they're coming on. Look out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I misspoke because as we uh, as we just flipped on the microphones, uh, the Sens media site just put it out there that they've reassigned the following three players to Belleville, Logan Shaw, Philip Gustafson, and Jacob Bernard-Docker. And I think for most Sens fans when they see that, not that this is our top story, but it is our freshest story, um, I think most Sens fans are going WTF on that one when you've still got the likes of Josh Brown patrolling the blue line in Ottawa. I don't understand it. But then, you know, Josh Brown came back healthy. He's back from injury, so somebody's got to go. I don't understand why Josh Brown can't be. Like, do they have seven now? you got to help me out. Again, this is fresh, folks. Sorry, we're just finding out. So, Oh, Zaitsev's back, too. Is that it? He's not back yet. they got Shabbat, Zub, Holden, Brown, Mete, and Brandstrom. Yeah, so they've only got six. It's it's not to save money, or or is it to save money? Like because the, the the shuffling back and forth to the to the taxi squad, I've got to believe has something to do with money. I I I don't know. I, he's been sent down. He's going to spend the week there. Come right back. Well, they play tomorrow night, don't they? Like he's coming right back up again. I would hope, but we'll have to wait and see. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a frustration because Jacob Bernard Docker did not look out of place, and clearly he is at least got a chance to be part of the long range solution or a Stanley Cup solution, lack of a better phrase. Um, then you've got a guy like Josh Brown. Like I don't care if he captained your Memorial Cup winner. I don't care how tunnel vision you are on this player. You you can't think that this guy is part of the long-range solution. Jacob Bernard Docker has a chance to be part of that. He's only 21 years old. He hasn't looked out of place. Can you get your head around this in a season that is lost? Uh, it, it, uh, as I said, it, it may have something to do with salary, but then he's only he's making the bare minimum. It may also have something to do with where do you want him to play? Do you want him to play 10 to 12 minutes a night at the NHL level? Or do you want to play 18 to 20 minutes at the AHL level? And in the big picture, I think you want him playing 18 to 20 a night in the AHL. But if he's better than somebody here, then he should be here. Great. But then when he is here, you don't play him ahead of people that we believe he's better than. So in that case, if you're not going to play him here ahead of somebody like Brown, then okay, fine. Send him down. You know, you know what I'm getting at? I just, it, it just, it makes no sense, but if that's their beliefs, if that's how they feel about it, then he shouldn't be here. Right. All right, let's jump into uh, the last couple of games that have occurred since we last did an episode. And as I mentioned off the top, the Senators got a point in Washington, then they won in Columbus, 
That capital game was a frustration, though, because after 40 minutes, they had a 2-0 lead, and then it seemed, Greg, like they decided to come up with a controversial strategy, and that is leave the maybe the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game all alone in front of the Ottawa net. Yeah, I, the, the one really threw me. That Was it the, the second one? The the replay was required on the second one. That both Zub and Shabbat, not only are they both on the same side, but they're both outside that near post. Like, they were way over there, and I just, I was looking at it. I was yelling <laughs> at, the, at the TV, and sure enough, somebody finds him and bang, it's in the back of the net. Like, that, that just, and that's the pair that you wouldn't expect it from. So that's that threw me off, too. I don't know what happened. They got mesmerized by the puck or what the heck they're both doing on that side of the ice was really strange i don't want to go down kevin bxa lane here (laughs) but i certainly think thomas shabbat has had a tremendous season and he would have been in the discussion for team canada had the nhl gone to the olympics but there's still a lot of room for growth there in d-zone coverage is there not oh yeah yeah it's it's recognizing the situation it's reading and reacting it's uh, head on a swivel it skates up ice like if the puck is in my partner's corner then i'm at the top of the blue paint skates up ice like that's it drives me up the wall the number of defensemen that stand in front of the net they're in the right spot but they're turned and they're facing the puck in the corner no no you should be facing your man your head on a swivel while you look for the puck too often you've got a defenseman in front of the net who is facing the puck with his head on a swivel looking for his man. It's a just it's backwards. Like if you're standing in the top of the blue paint, skates up ice right in the middle of the ice, you'll see, oh hey, look, Ovechkin's here. Instead, he got sucked over to the wrong side of the ice, back to the front of the net, and so did Zoo. Both of them backs to uh to Ovechkin in the slot. Now the game did get to overtime, and in overtime. I think we saw about as poor a breakout attempt in the three-on-three as one could imagine. You had Kachuk along the boards. He's under duress, so he just tries to feather a between-the-legs back pass to Brandstrom, who basically, well, he missed out. It was a bad pass, but he basically blew past the puck and missed it. And then, uh, But it's okay, because Josh Norris was there to pick it up, and he decided that he was going to try and feather a backhand pass as the last man back at this stage, feather mm-hmm. a backhand pass through Nicholas Backstrom, hits Backstrom, and Backstrom basically walked in like a teenager on an outdoor rink just messing around and <laughs> beats Matt Murray for the winning goal. Capitals win 3-2. Is that an ugly, uh, as ugly a breakout as you've ever seen? You nailed it, Steve. You you could have a potential career there and breaking down highlights. Like, that was phenomenal. <laughs> but you're right. It, it, you know, too often, the only thing missing was that the goalie looked bad on the play too, right? <laughs> too often you want to say, this guy made a mistake. Did Josh Norris make a mistake? Yes, but he only made the last mistake. The, the, the one-touch blind into the middle of the ice by Kachuk wasn't good to begin with. It just, it, 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 it started the problems, right? And, uh, Norris, like, my God, you're, you're basically last man back and you're trying a little dangle. And, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even using his own stick. Was he not? I, I think he had somebody else's stick because it snapped the other end of the ice or he dropped it or something. So it's just poor decisions by at least two people. Anyway, the game started great. Like they ended up uh, again oh, yeah. with, a, with a two nothing lead, but just looking at the first period alone, 
The Sens allowed zero. This is a very good Capitals team with lots of offense, and the Sens allowed zero five-on-five shots. So they come out of it with a one-nothing lead, but that just that defensive performance is certainly something that was encouraging, I thought. Oh, yeah. Like I kept looking at the shot clock as the, as the period was going on, and my God, could they actually go 20 minutes with like less than five, or, yeah. or could they stay around zero? It was amazing. And then on comes the power play, and it was bang, five shots. So it was it was wonderful to see that they they limited chances against, they eliminated shots against clearly. Um, they didn't exactly generate a lot of their own. I think they finished the period with less than 10 themselves, if I'm not mistaken. So it's just, it, it's a continuation of what we've seen lately, right? It's, it's hard work. It's good, usually good, smart decision-making in the defensive zone. It's five guys acting as a unit, doing what they're supposed to do. And and for two periods, they were they were phenomenal. It was it was it was textbook. Very good game in Columbus defensively. Once again, well, obviously the one goal speaks for itself. And uh, Tim Stutzla, as we played off the top, ended up with your game winner, an absolutely beautiful goal. And how good does he look lately, playing alongside Alex Formans? And we we talked in the last episode about you know top six, you know that uh, maybe the, obviously they need improvements there, but. Stutzla and Formanton of late are starting to look very much like a not just a a second line that's serviceable, but in the last fifteen games or so, their point production has been fantastic. Yeah, the the, the main thing being that that Formanton has seemed to have, uh, like Mike Johnson made the point that his he seems to have slowed down his feet enough or sped up his brain enough <laughs> that they're able to work in concert together when maybe they weren't so much before. He was usually so fast that his brain couldn't keep up or his hands couldn't keep up. Um, and without really slowing down at all, he's uh, he's picked up his game, something fierce, and there is some chemistry there. And and I still like watching the shifts when when Batherson goes out with them, that uh, that, that gives you something. There, there really is something there that there's a possibility that maybe Formanton is the answer at top six. I, I still think long-term, I like a third line of of like Ridley Gregg in the middle with Brown and Formington. I see that as being a phenomenal third line. I mean, maybe, maybe even Nick Paul who sticks around and is still in that slot. But I just I, I see Formington more being a third line guy. But if he can produce consistently, regularly, uh, the kind of numbers that are that are uh, expected of a of a top six guy, then hey, let's let's leave him there and run with it. Yeah, Formanton has 14 points in his last 15 games. Stutzla has 11 in his last 13 games. And the cycle is what DJ Smith has liked most about Formanton's improvement. He said if there's one area that Formanton is most improved in, that is the cycle. For the layman, Greg, maybe talk about why that's a big deal. Well, the cycle allows you to maintain possession of the puck in the offensive zone. Essentially, you 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 look at your options and if you don't have an option of a of a point pass or a slot pass, let's put the puck where nobody is. And at the very worst, we've got a 50-50 of getting it back. And the, the Senators do this very well with a, a, a number of their lines do because it's, let's face it, they've got a lot of grinder type guys. You know, the Sanfords and the Watsons and the Tierneys of the world. And then when you add it to skill players, you got a Formington goes in deep, he comes up the wall, he, he's looking to make a pass to the point or the slot, he doesn't have it. He just chips it back into the corner below him, and Stutzla jumps in and grabs it, and he'll come up the wall himself. And again, same sort of thing happens. Do I have an option to the point? Do I have an option to the slot? If not, 
I'm going to put it where nobody is, what we call the quiet zones, right? The corners or behind the net where nobody is. And as I said, it, it's, it's at worst, it's a 50-50. You're going to maintain possession, which is better than turning it over on a bad pass to the point or just throwing it in front of the net, hoping for the best. The thing about Formanton with 14 points in 15 games, in the previous 15, he had only three points. Mm-hmm. So if this is the new Formanton and he's sort of found something, he's going to make some serious money between now and the end of the year. And it makes you wonder, okay, Josh Norris needs a new deal. Tim Stutzla will be eligible for an extension this summer. I mean, you can't give every kid on this team <laughs> long-term big money like what do you think happens with Formanton as far as uh re-signing and we'll, we'll talk about some unrestricted free agents in just a moment here but you know he now is becoming someone that's maybe going to be a little more of a complicated conversation than maybe we thought a month ago well it's it's a bit of a it's a situation you brought upon yourself you were you were unable to find that top six forward so you've played around with different people in that slot now you've moved Formanton in there, and he is excelling. I, I, we, we should go back and check uh, minutes played and line mates for the previous fifteen versus these fifteen with the points you just pointed out there. But you've created it yourself. You, you, he, he's got every reason now to say, "Look, these are the numbers I produce at. When you let me play and I play here, these are the numbers I produce. Therefore, my comparable is this guy, and I want this money." Uh, when in fact, your internal situation, your internal. Uh, long-term projection on this player may be that he's a third-line guy. It's kind of like the money you gave to Colin White, who had that great year. He's a breakout guy. Look out. He's our man. He's our one or one B center. And you paid him based on based on a half a season or three-quarters of a season playing with Stone and Kachuk instead of paying him based on what your projection was. Or you had the totally wrong projection. Like, who knows? But that's what it's going to come down to here. It's the the projection of Formanton versus the numbers he's put up. And has he put up these numbers in in a role that you didn't foresee? Or has he put up these numbers because he's benefiting from a great situation? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination, right? Because sure. there's nobody on this team right now that I, you know, that I would say, hey, that's that's such a great player that if I stick him on the third or fourth line, you know, with the Nick Pauls or the Gambrells of the world, that they'll maintain their offense. Obviously, you need those complementary skill players with you to thrive. There's not many guys in the in the entire league that won't have a massive drop off in offense if you drop them down into the bottom six, and that's where Formanton has spent most all of his NHL career. Yeah, he, he reminds me of of uh, well, somebody who's been in the news the last couple of days, and that's Bob Bourne. This is a guy who was arguably the fastest player in the league in his day, uh, was primarily a penalty killer, primarily second or third line, but when necessary, played with Trache and Bossy and put up incredible points playing left wing with them. Well, okay, who wouldn't? But then, you know, you could play him on a second line, you could play him on a third line, you could play him anywhere, but his, his main assets were speed, speed and PK, and that's what Formington is. I mentioned the comparison to Colin White. You could also draw comparisons to a Ryan DeZingle or an Anthony Duclair. Uh, How good is the player really? And how good is he going to be one year, two years from now? What is the real Alex Formanton? What was the real Ryan DeZingle? Was it all those points he put up that one year that got him the big contract elsewhere? Or, you know, Anthony Duclair, why was he producing at the numbers he was producing at? Was it because of the situation or was it because of the player and his skill set? And that's what 
scouting and evaluation and projection, it, that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, I'd agree. And uh, by the way, uh, Tim Stutzla, as we uh, wrap up our conversation about Stutzla and Formanton uh, providing a bit of a dynamic duo of late, Stutzla was the first two-time winner of the sort of MVP of the game helmet and sunglasses. So uh, congratulations to Tim Stutzla, who also celebrated his 20th birthday since we last convened here on the program. All right, let's take our first time out of the program. And don't forget that our show is brought to you by Jim K. Ford, home of the all-new Ford Maverick. Designed to seize the day, this beautiful truck is built Ford Tough and gives you the best of both worlds. Compact on the outside, but still big enough on the inside to seat five and store all of your stuff. Not to mention the very cool 8-inch touchscreen on your dash to help you get your work done. Learn more and pre-order the all-new Ford Maverick today at JimKFord.com. The Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. All right, Greg, we're going to talk a little bit about a free agency checkup. <laughs> Got a bunch of unrestricted free agents between now and next season that the Sens have to, well, make decisions on. And who do you want to re-sign out of the group? I'm going to give you the list of seven. It's seven wow. up. And you tell me if they are in your plans for this fall or not. First of all, Chris Tierney. No. He's probably, uh, he'll catch you a sixth or seventh round pick at the trade deadline, or you let him walk. Um, He has served his purpose. He may end up being one of the last uh, role fillers. No, what were we calling them before? Yeah. Uh, Band-Aid Place solutions. Placeholders. Placeholders, yeah. <laughs> Band-Aid solution, yeah. He may end up being one of the last of the placeholders. He served his purpose. He served his purpose a lot better last year and the year before. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Chris Tierney's gone. I like yeah. him as a fourth-line center, but he's priced himself off this team. I mean, well, unless yeah. he... I mean, there's, uh, I mean, he's over $3 million, whatever. I forget exactly where he's at, but it's way too much for what he's able to deliver. And this is a club right now that with Pinto and Ridley Gregg potentially on the way, you've even got a guy like Mark Kastelik at center. You've got mm-hmm. center ice options that are going to be way, way cheaper. And of course, at the top of the food chain, it's Norris and Stutzla at the moment. So there's just not room for this guy. And there's certainly not room for this guy at the price tag that he's at. So we agree that Tierney's out. Zach Sanford. I like him. I, I think he can, he can bring some things that are needed, much, much the way that an Austin Watson does. Um, I think that maybe you, you wait and see what kind of offers you get at the trade deadline, and if something comes up that's uh, better than a fifth rounder, then you, uh, you would certainly consider it. Uh, otherwise, let him go to free agency, and I would, uh, I would see what he's looking for. I wouldn't sign him right away. I wouldn't be too excited about jumping right on it right away. But in free agency, I'd let him wait for a while and think about things and check out the market yourselves. And if you find yourself still needing uh, what he offers, then maybe he's a guy that you, you do resign later in the offseason, assuming, again, that you don't get a, a real nice offer trade deadline. A you- nice complimentary piece for sure. And right now he's actually the third guy on that duo of Formanton and Stutzler, which is going so well right now. And Sanford has three points in the last four games. He's had some good moments this season. Um, I guess it comes down to 100% for me for price. If the price is right, mm-hmm. You keep him around. Um, maybe he's a guy that sees the price of opportunity. Okay, maybe you can get a few bucks more over here. 
but I seem to have found some chemistry and a home with the Sens, and uh, maybe I'll take a little less to stay with this club and the opportunity that it has moving forward, but uh, I have a feeling he'll be out. I just feel like there's just too many young guys on the way, so any even a modest raise for this guy doesn't make a ton of sense just due to replaceability, and I think the replaceability factor for Zach Sanford is quite high. Nick Paul. Mm. We all love well, Nick Paul. I, I I love Nick Paul. Um, there was one uh, one highlight. Uh, Ray Ferraro pointed it out the other night that that Nick Paul got into the offensive zone, and he's he's not quick. Okay, he's not fleet of foot, but he made a really nice play, setting up his body pr- pr- to protect the puck before it came to him, and he uses his upper body strength and his lower body leg strength to hold people off and and can make some things happen, uh, but he's slow and he's getting slower. And I don't know that long-term he's a guy that's going to be here at the kind of money that it may end up costing you. But then again, he's what? He's only at a million two? One three. One three. So it's not expensive, but he's also, okay, here's your problem, right? He's also a guy who could draw some interest. He's a third-line center on a Stanley Cup contender. So you could get something real nice for Nick Paul. You could package Nick Paul with something and get something even nicer. So I, 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 it's, I hate to pull the same thing, but if, if the offer's really good, I'm moving him. If the offer's not so good, I'm going to hold off and I'll, I would probably sign him early in the free agency. If he's willing to play ball in and around low two, like 2.1, something like that, you sign him for a three- or four-year contract to be a bottom six winger, then let's do this thing. But if it's anything more than that, like I think there probably will be suitors. There will be people who have seen Nick Paul over the last year and a half and said, yeah, I like that guy. I like the way he protects the puck. He's hard to knock. You know, If he's out in front of the net, he's tough to knock off the puck and knock out of position. So there's a lot to like about Nick Paul in the right circumstances. And certainly we've seen it again and again where if you need him in the top six, you're not going to lose that much. I don't agree that he's lost a step. I think it, that will come, but he's 26. I don't think he will have slowed down between, you know, 24 and 27, mm-hmm. 28. He's not the most fleet of foot. You're right. But I, I, the play you're talking about in that Columbus game, I think it was, he's like one mm-hmm. on three. He's one on three rushing in, and then he just holds onto the puck, protects it, protects it, and then whips around and gets a great shot on net. Um, and defensively, we all know how great he is. Uh, I'd love to see Nick Paul stick around. But if he's looking for something north of $2.5 million with all the guys that have got to get paid in the next little while and some other you know rank-and-file guys that can come up and be decent for you, I think you have to move on from him. But as long as it's under two point five, I still want him. Let me ask you this. What did Tampa give up for uh, Barkley Goudreau and for Blake Coleman back-to-back years to basically create their third line? They were first-round draft choices. Would Tampa be happy to have Connor Brown and Nick Paul as a third line for their playoff run this year? What would they be willing to give up for that? I think you've really got to listen to offers. And I hate to bring Connor Brown into it, but he's another guy. You've got to be willing to listen to offers. Oh, yeah. And I think that's true of any player. I don't care who you are, how young you are, how great you are. We've seen Gretzky and Lindros and all kinds of blockbuster deals over the years. I will listen to anyone. There's no untouchables if I'm a general manager in the NHL, but 
there's a lot there's a lot of guys on this team right now that you're gonna have to really blow my sock knock my socks off mm-hmm. so um for Nick Paul for sure I'm always gonna listen uh in particular for a player like that if the price is right I will make a deal for him no doubt about that moving on to the next one we've got uh Nick Paul we've got him and then uh Tyler Ennis yeah he, he's gone <laughs> I mean, you're not re-signing Tyler Ennis because for what Tyler Ennis brings you got any number of other people who can do that, either currently within the system or out there somewhere in free agency. Again, he doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of money. No. So if if he is a healthy scratch, as he has been a couple times in the last week, then that tells you all you need to know right there. If you're health bombing somebody, then you're not going to miss him if he leaves in free agency. He makes $900,000 a year. Um, if there are enough ready guys, young guys ready to come in, then I give his $900,000 to one of the kids. If there aren't enough, then I'm happy to keep Tyler Ennis around for another one-year contract, which I think it'll be his fifth one-year contract <laughs> in a row. So I don't think he hurts you one way or the other, so I don't think it's a big deal. He's, um, he's a bit I'm of an a, enigma, though. He goes from health. One night, he's a health bomb. And the next night, he's getting minutes with Norris and Kachuk, and he's playing on your second power play. Right. It's strange. <laughs> Nick Holden. Where are you at? Nick Holden is making 1.7 right now. I think you keep him. I think he, he could be your one veteran stabilizing force. Um, I'd love to find a way to, to move Zaitsev along or buy out Zaitsev or trade Zaitsev. It's never going to happen. But um, I, I like Nick Holden. I think the coaching staff probably likes Nick Holden. The management group like Nick Holden in the room and a veteran and a, a, a calming influence, a professional who shows up and, and puts in his work. Um, I think for the, for the things that he brings, and his game hasn't been terrible, um, he's a guy I think. What a play he made in the Columbus game in a 2-1 <clears throat> Two win. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, there's one guy that had an empty net effectively, and Holden just got a hold of his stick and just sheer strength took away a goal for Columbus. Like, it's going in if Holden doesn't make that play. Uh, Forsberg's out of the play. It's an empty net effectively, and a, a terrific play there. I agree. Um, I would bring him in. It's always about – it always goes with a caveat if the price is right. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love uh, I love Holden as a 5-6. I always liken the stay-at-home – non-flashy defenseman i think i've made this reference before to an offensive lineman in football if i notice you as an offensive lineman that's probably a bad thing and nick holden never makes me go he's it's a couple of times maybe over the course of the season but he almost never makes me go what the hell is that you know what are you doing out there what's so if i'm not noticing you generally speaking that's probably a good thing i would keep nick holden around but probably is, I mean, it would need, he's 34, very well liked in the dressing room. Once again, a character in the room. Um, I would need him to stay under 3 million for sure. Or oh, yeah. we're not talking about the uh, coming back. Uh, we'll see what the market is asking for him right now. Um, and finally, no, we got a couple more. Josh Brown. I think we can agree on see that. Ya. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. We've already, we've already spent too much time on Josh Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Anton Forsberg. Done or back? Done. His purpose this season, although it hasn't worked out, but his reason for being here this year was to be the backup to Matt Murray so that Gustafson could play in Bing in Belleville. I almost said Binghamton. 
Um, so that purpose is served. I think Gustafson has proved that he could step up and be a backup to Matt Murray next year and maybe take the job away from him by the end of the year or into the next year. Um, Forsberg has served his purpose, and it's time to move on. And I'm of the opinion that a young guy being a backup goalie, if it's to Matt Murray or if Gustafson comes in and takes the job outright, but even if it means he's a ball cap wearing goalie for 50 games a year, that's not the end of the world. Like 32 starts in the course of a season, along with practicing with the club, it's not like there's no development happening there at all. It may not be as quick as if he's playing 60 games in the AHL, but there's still development happening there. Um, so I don't necessarily look at it the way we might have 25 years ago when Marty Brodeur is playing 72 regular season <laughs> games and Chris Terreri would be getting no looks whatsoever. That would be a bad situation, but I don't feel like with Matt Murray, who in his career has never started more than 50 games, I don't think it's a bad thing for Gustafson to be either the backup or a 1B goaltender situation here. Yeah, it's it's, it's a step along your development. It, it, it is still development. The, the question is, did he get enough games or will he get enough games? I'm talking about Gustafson in Belleville this year over the course of the rest of this season so that it so that he did actually make some progress in development. Playing a full year in Belleville was now out of the equation, but is he going to get enough starts that he's now taking another step up? And then the next step is, okay, now you're going to be up here for 30 games next year. I, I, I agree with everything you said. I think we're in full agreement that Forsberg is served his purpose and we're moving on from him. Can he be somebody's number one? Because he certainly had some good games here of late. Forsberg? Correct. No, no. He's not a number one goal. He is, he, he, he's a career backup uh, at best. I, I, like the thing is that if you'd had to place him on waivers earlier in the year with all the goalie crap that's gone on this year with a lot of teams, you would have lost him. Like he had to stay on the roster because somebody would have picked him up. Um, I don't know how what the market's going to be like now, but come the deadline, there there might be somebody out there who's willing to give you maybe as high as a fourth. Um, maybe you can get a player in return that can be serviceable for you. I don't know, but uh, I, I look. I, I say we look to him to be traded at the deadline for sure. And if that doesn't happen, then he he is not getting signed. I would tend to agree with you, although there's part of me that's still leaving the door open just a crack <laughs> for that guy. We just haven't seen enough of Anton Forsberg. And of late, he's had some really good games, and he's only played 72 career NHL games right now. So I can't write him off just yet until he gets like, okay, here's the net, go for a long period of time. I'm not going to write that off. I can't. Why are you laughing at that? That's you, 72 you, games played. You say that about everybody, man. You could never be an NHL GM. You can't just you, you you it takes you too long to figure out what a guy is, right? Or you or you need to see more to, before you can figure out what a guy is. No, like, I was your story with with uh, Logan Brown. Yeah. No, I got to see him play. I, I'm not quite there yet. I don't know yet. You know, like it's a tough business, man. The decisions got to be made, and and it's uh, it's not fun. No, I'm I'm not uh, at all referencing the concept <laughs> of whether I should cut him or not. I'm moving on from him, but okay. I asked a follow-up question of you. Can he be a number one for someone someday? And that's oh. where that's the follow-up of that's where I leave the door a crack open. I'm not being wishy-washy. That was the <laughs> follow-up question, and that was my feeling about it. I'm not writing off that possibility. Well, but if you think he can be a number one for somebody, then why wouldn't you re-sign him? Because right now I've got two goalies I like better. Okay. Deal. 
Okay. So that's uh, that's part of the discussion in all of these issues. Now, um, there's some players in of, here I like. There's some players in here I like, but um, right now you're looking at other options, younger guys who can be part of the long-range solution as we strive for the unparalleled success. <laughs> now, speaking of watching a player play and seeing them have some success and having to determine what is the ceiling of that success going to translate to, where are you now on Eric Brandstrom? Is it possible that he's getting all these minutes now because they're showcasing him? Oh, anything's possible, but I feel like he's coming into his own a little. I- I'm seeing Brandstrom over and over again get more and more impressive, and I really think that Pierre Dorian wants, in the worst way, for Brandstrom <laughs> yes. to work out because of that thing he said about Mark Stone that this is the best day I've ever had as a GM. He's that excited about Brandstrom. He gave up so much to get him. He wants that guy to work out. And what does he project out to? I don't see him projecting out to anything other than a 5-6 who can play some power play minutes. I just, he's not, at at this team, and actually, you know what, at any team, I can't see him being in the top four of of a good hockey team in the National Hockey League. I think he only projects out to be a 5-6. So if you can convince somebody or if somebody's out there watching him lately and thinking that he's a, he's a top four, then you might get a decent offer for him at the trade deadline. Maybe you're in a situation where you're thinking, because he has been getting some looks with Shabbat on the right side, with Sanderson and Shabbat as a left-shot defenseman, you don't really think about Brandstrom too much sliding into your top four. But as a right-shot defenseman, maybe someday, because I don't like him with Shabbat ideally on the big unparalleled success team, maybe if Sanderson evolves as such a good two-way defenseman, maybe he can play the right side with Sanderson. But as if, if you're going to keep Zaitsev at his ridiculous money and Zub, there's two right-side guys. Heaven forbid if they want to keep Josh Brown around as a right-side. You know, there's just Lassie Thompson... Uh, JBD. I just I don't see where he fits in long term. The one thing that he has in his favor, though, is as you alluded to, it was Pierre Dorian's greatest trade in history. So that's that's going to stick. That's going to keep him around for a serious look for as long as they can hang on. And he's fantastic with the puck. Yeah, I just I just don't want to see it being uh, Logan Brown, where they waited so long on Logan Brown. With each passing month, the number of teams that were interested in him dropped. And with each passing month, the teams that were interested in them, the quality of their offers was dropping. And the same thing could happen with Branstrom. You've now got him playing, looking good, playing well. Maybe his value's going up. Maybe there's more and more suitors interested. So I just don't want to see them lose out on that by hanging on to him too long. Well, the one thing he's got over Logan Brown is he is looking good and he is playing well yeah. right now. So that's at least something. Logan Brown never did that. So <laughs> good point. The Jim K. Ford Sends Nation Podcast. All right, let's close it out today with news of Andre Kuzmenko. He's one of the top scorers in the KHL. He is said to be um, pretty interested in coming to the Ottawa Senators as a free agent signing in the offseason, maybe sooner. But he has failed to make the Russian Olympic team. He does make it as a reserve player. But uh, there's on the main roster, there's 14 guys and, on forward, and he's not one of them. Should that be pause for thought for the Sens or not? Ding, 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 ding. 
alarm bells are going off, Steve. I, I don't <laughs> know what the reason is for this. Um, I, I have, I'm on record saying on, on this very podcast that it's really only his first year of putting up those kinds of numbers. We talked earlier in this show about Anthony Duclair and Ryan Dezingle and even uh, Formanton at this stage of his career putting up these numbers now. Does that mean that's the player he is, or is it just a matter of circumstance? Uh, who knows? But uh, ding, 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 I'm, I'm a little, little concerned about it. Maybe, maybe it's even an attitude thing. You know, John Tavares was leading the OHL in, uh, in scoring, or sorry, Mark Savard was leading the OHL in scoring for years there in Oshawa and couldn't make a national junior team, and that was always due to attitude. So I just, I, I wonder what the real reason is here, what's behind it. I put it out on Twitter, and I got some feedback on it that might explain. Like Kadri Sens writes, it's punishment for his rumored departure from the KHL. Why do you think his agent came out last week to downplay NHL interest and reiterate his focus on the KHL season and the Olympics? Uh, Josh Malott writes, it's not beyond the Russians to snub this guy due to his plan to play in North America. And somebody else said, uh, it's nothing to worry about one way or the other. Go ahead and sign him. It's found money. And if it doesn't work out for the Sens, then they've lost nothing because it's going to be that cheap to get this guy on a one-year entry-level contract. Yeah, I can see that. I can see Russians being ticked at somebody, but if he really is good, I don't think they would do it. Like, if like if he were uh, no contest, he's he would be one of our top three guys on this team. Regardless of where he wants to play next year, they would still take him. I just, right. I, I, you know, there, there's a little bit of smoke there. I'm not sure that there's a fire in that argument. It's hard to imagine Artem Anisimov is on the team, the former Ottawa senator, and uh, Kuzmenko is not. And, and yeah. I guess three of the top ten scorers in the KHL, including Kuzmenko, are not on the main roster for, well, they're not Team Russia. Russia Olympic athletes rock, we have to call yeah. them. <laughs> what, a, what a punishment where you can't use your Team Russia name. Great, great. Anyway, we'll close it out there, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget our website is sensnationhockey.com. Got a couple of neat new articles up there. We've got uh, mine on DJ Smith, Rookie No More. Expectations rise with improving talent. The coaching spotlight begins to shine on DJ Smith brighter. And uh, we also have uh, Kyle Skinner with five years later. Where are they now? The 2017 Ottawa Senators who came within one goal of the cup final. It's really interesting to see how many guys are either retired or doing absolutely nothing, like just not accomplishing. There's like about a, you can count on one hand the number of guys from that team you'd want on your team right now. Very interesting stuff at sensenationhockey.com. And with that, we should call it a day, my friend. Anything uh, going on between uh, now and the what next a, episode? What a weekend, Steve. We didn't even talk about it. I'll, I'll have to tune into the SWP to get your thoughts. What a weekend, huh? A football? Yeah, sorry about your Packers, pal. Oh, it was the worst, but... As far as excitement goes, I mean, I've been, well, I'm over 50 years of watching NFL football in the playoffs, and I cannot recall a more entertaining weekend of NFL football than we just got, including that uh, Kansas City-Buffalo finish. Wow. Yeah, just amazing. Wow. Yeah. Are you Is of the, there something of, wrong with the NFL's overtime, though? Can we fix that, please? Yeah, it doesn't happen that often, but every time it does happen, we're in a big game, somebody scores on the first possession, everybody goes upside down about it. I would like to see both teams get a shot on offense, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it's a tough pill to swallow for the Bills, who not only lose in that manner, 
but it's it wasn't a chip shot field goal to tie that thing either with about four seconds left a 49 yard field goal in the cold that was clutch but they should have been kicking it on the ground and taking a couple seconds off the clock one less play from Holmes if they'd done that yeah all right we'll call it quits right there again sensnationhockey.com is our website thanks for being with us ladies and gentlemen we'll talk to you next time Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com. We get letters, we get back, 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 back